You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Deer Lab. Deer Lab allows you to profile unique bucks in your area based off your trail camera information. Of course, you'll still have to climb that tree, but picking the right stand location and time has been a whole lot easier. Check out DeerLab.com today and sign up for their free 14-day trial period. DeerLab.com Welcome to the Land Legs Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. And we have a, another special guest with us, Mr. Zach Shermer. There we go. Mr. Did he say, Zach. I thought, it was, say, I thought it was Skirmer. Uh, that's what the truck always says. When, it, when we call him, it says Zachary Skirmer. <laughs> Zach has joined us um, this evening for the podcast, the Habitat and Land Management Podcast, right here on Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. And we are going to have him join us a few more times. And basically, as we continue down this little venture in the podcast world, um, there may come a time where Matt or I cannot make it. And so Zachary is going to step in. Um, he's a big part of the production that we do, and especially the biggest part of the podcast videos that we upload on youtube and our facebook page if you haven't seen them check them out because there's going to come a time when we're talking about maps and various things i think two weeks ago yeah we did there was uh we broke down a property and and so you needed to be able to see that map so this allows you to do that zachary takes the bull by the horns on that so he is gonna join us and talk about some of the other stuff as as you what I don't know six times six podcasts ago he discussed uh, yep. kind of his evolving as a hunter and land manager and so he's sitting with us today as we are going to cover a long list or several different topics we have a a very busy week um, uh, the turkey season just finished up and we are now rolling into another very important season Matt what is food that? plot season it is here. Um, springtime came late, but is here for sure as it's in the eighties, almost 90 degrees here in Missouri. It reached low 92 yesterday. Did it really? Yeah. It was hot, but man, got up there. And I think they're saying for the same thing on Saturday too. So food plot season definitely here full swing for us as we're getting, um, properties lined out and we're going to talk about that today. Some things that we, um, saw in the field, um, some things we implemented. And then you guys were down at the Prairie Hollow property in addition to that, um, and saw some other things, some cool perspectives on some work that's been getting done. And we're 
go through all that, um, kind of the cost share, the background of that, what programs are enrolled, the implementation of that. And then honestly, we're going to be upfront, transparent, and just tell you exactly when it comes to um, money, monetary aspect, what it costs, what comes back to our pockets for doing the work that everyone wants done on their property anyhow. Um, and then we've got kind of a, a unique question to pose after all that about some um, current topics here, especially in Missouri, um, and I'm sure probably across across the country. Um, so that's the, that's the breakdown. That's what we're going to go through today and cover some topics. So you guys ready? I'll always. This week's podcast brought to you by RTP Outdoors, makers of the Genesis Drill, Goliath Crimper, the Groundbreaker, and they're located right there in, uh, I forget the name of the town, but basically St. Louis is what I always, yeah. it's basically Just suburb. west of St. Louis. People ask us where we're from, we say Springfield, Missouri, because we're basically Springfield, but even though we're in a separate town. But the reason we're talking about RTP Outdoors today is because it was a groundbreaking day for us um, with the no <laughs> Do you like that dad joke? Yeah. And so, uh, anyway, we are uh, going to cover kind of uh, – uh, Matt, you ran it. What would you think? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, we were working there in, in south-central Missouri and um, doing some filming stuff and, and getting helping the landowner get some food plots in. But, um, you know, I, I like the system of that drill. We've, we've run numerous um, just in, in careers and, and getting things going up. John Deere, Haybuster, Great Plains, all that stuff before. Um, but I have not ever found one that is more simple to get ready and get going. You put seed in, calibration, make a few adjustments, a couple tweaks, and you're planting. And it's very, very simple. Yeah, it's, yeah absolutely. It's one of the – I mean, it, it is the most simple drill yeah. I've ever used. And the greatest thing for me um, about it is the fact that it – hopefully you can have a tractor that, to – use this benefit of it it's a it's a three wheel or a three point hitch setup you can you can get the hydraulic wheel kit if you want but i just love the simple fact of taking that three point hitch lifting it up spinning around dropping it back down and taking off it it saves you so much time and if you're a person who has um, been able to plant with a no-till drill in the past that has been you know tongue mounted you are saving so much time by switching and going to this type of setup. Um, turnaround time, cut more than in half, um, and then again with that calibration system. Like, and, and you don't have to be extremely knowledgeable of, of or have past experience of calibrating a drill to get this. Like, they outline it very easily. Um, you don't have to crunch a bunch of numbers, um, and but you still, even though it's super simple to do, you can still be extremely accurate. That's the thing. Like, you don't sacrifice accuracy in your seeding rates with the system with the genesis but it's just simplified yeah um we rented drills in the past and i swear sometimes those things it's like you've got to have an engineering degree just to get it set right there's plus, this knob those knobs and then you tweak this one and you go back to that other one there's and, a lever here yeah there's a yeah depth here um, right so this was my first experience um seeing the genesis and mm-hmm. that was simple wasn't it three, three major there was all in all there's three things basically to adjust and one is the um depth of what you're planting mm-hmm. half inch inch and two inch and those are simply pins that you yeah. move and slide into the next gap or the next hole to adjust that um 
Self-explanatory. Yeah. Very, very self-explanatory. There's a gate opening that's got a um, a knob on it and then a lever. You you basically have zero is, is closed, one, two, and three, um, and you get progressively larger um, just depending on whatever seed you know, if you have corn or sunflowers, you're planting that, you go on up to three for that to allow for the larger gate opening for that seed to cleanly drop through the seed meters. Okay, so there's that one setting that you have, and then you go to the other side of the drill, um, and there's another. This is pretty new to the Genesis, but it's a it's a V clutch system, and it's got gears with the right ratio in there, and basically you're adjusting, I guess, the ratio of those gear systems um, to. You've got the, the gate opening, and then now you're, you're doing the metering system, how um, fast and everything that seed is dropping um, and the rate in which it's dropping. So it's just a knob, though. Yeah. You have zero and then, like, basically it's one through ten on that meter, and they give you some suggestions to start with based on your seed size, whether it's wheat, clover, um, soybean, or corn. Just give you, like, hey, if you want to start out at 50, um, make these adjustments, put the gate at this, the uh, V clutch at this, simple tweaks of those, and then you calibrate, yeah. see how accurate you are, and then you make the a tiny adjustments from there to just dial it in that much farther. Yeah, and make sure you read your manuals because they give. Is, was it on the manual where yeah. they give you seed mm-hmm. rates and the and the uh, the calibration? Yeah. Yep. Make sure you read those manuals because you could be wasting seed or not, oh, yeah. not seeding enough. But um, it's very helpful too. Um, but yeah, it was just, and another thing, you've got it on the notes. I don't, I don't want to take it from me here, but no, hit at, it. at our, at our farm, we usually don't have that thick of a thatch in yeah. our fields. Right. Um, we spray pretty heavy and we've been, um, you know, guilty of disking our fields before. So <laughs> no, oh, get, sorry, get oh, off oh, this oh, podcast oh, right now. <laughs> I'm so kidding. there's not as much cover. And, um, so I've, you know, even the ones we've rented, you mm-hmm. see the drill lines right through the dirt. Right. But the thatch at. Uh, Granny's corner there today. Mm-hmm. Whenever we were seeding, um, I mean, it was thi- like I didn't feel like I was walking on dirt. You're walking on top of thatch, and you could see where the cuts were through the dirt, and you could see the seed right in the dirt there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that's the thing. You know, with that three-point hitch system, um, you're able to put as much pressure, all the full weight of that drill, um, and it's built. I mean, it, it, it's um, it's st- a stout drill. So um, that weight. Everything is just driving those cutting wheels down into the soil, opening up a, a furrow and dropping the seed in. And again, we're talking three, four inches of, of dead grass. 20, 2,560 pounds, 60 pounds yeah. I believe, is what it is, and then the weight of the seed. Right. So however much weight you put in the hopper. And, you know, for smaller tractor guys, 30 horse or lower, you probably need to think about the wheel kit or a ground mm-hmm. breaker or even the three Genesis, Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Um, but for that tractor, that was just like the perfect little setup, and you know, I think you, I think they said you need to have a lift capacity on your tractor, thirty-one hundred pounds. So, right, kind of keep that in mind if you're in the market for a no-till drill. I mean, you've heard us talk so much about ways to plant food plots and preferred ways, and we've always said planter no-till drill is the preferred way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we understand. I mean, there's been a, a large portion of my food plot life career, if you will, that that I didn't have that ability. So it is nice to step it up and, and yeah. be planting with that. It's so much easier. And that was the crazy thing. We were planting the uh, the Game Changer soybean from Stratton and, and the large portion of the food plot. And then around the edges, we're kind of doing some some food plot architecture. Um, and, but then the, the 
the downtime, if you will, from switching from the game changer to the heritage blend to have a, a larger, you know, more structure around the edges and then more diversity there on the farm. Um, I, I, it took me 20 minutes maybe to get every, like, finish draining the rest of the seed because it's got a nice calibration tray. You open up those gates wide open, it drops down. Um, so that's a breeze. And then poured more seed in, got it right, checked the calibration, good to go, seeds in the ground, off to the races. I mean, it, it was, it really was easy. Yeah, super easy. And, and that brings up another interesting point when Zach was talking about the thatch and the food plot is even, even Nathaniel was with us. He's like, well, I would have just thought about mowing this and disking it up. Yeah. And, and I mean, there was a time in my life where I would have thought the same thing. Well, it's time there's to plant. Basically, there's no way in this condition that's plantable uh-uh. right now in this stage. And, and I mean, you looked at it. There was, there was a little bit of woody species coming up mm-hmm. and there was a lot of fescue and other grass just sitting there standing there and we were planting right through it and still getting great seed to soil contact mm-hmm. um, just a half inch to an inch deep into the soil and Which and that goes with uh, exactly and then but the question is okay why why not well here's why when you think about okay well we've talked so much about trying not to expose the soil or turn the soil if we went in there and sprayed this and then mowed it and then disc it think about the temperatures we're getting right now we're we're getting oh, yeah low 90s high 80s bright sunny days a lot of wind because it's still i mean we're still in spring and so we're losing soil moisture so quickly another thing that would would try not to do is burning that off well you could do that and clean it up to ensure in and i say that in air quotes to ensure you get better seed to soil contact but the problem one of the problems that might happen with that would be there's already some invasive species in that seed bank with Cerise Lespides being the target number one. So if we do that, we burn that off, we're, once again, we're removing, as uh, Gay Brown, uh, you can probably call him famous farmer by now in North Dakota, as he, I coined the phrase, armored the soil with, with uh, basically the thatch of the grass, is we're not allowing the soil moisture to leave. And so if we burn that, we're now taking away the armor, and then we're exposing that soil to new seed weed seeds to grow. And a lot of times you burn, you're going to get a lot of cerise lespedeza when it's in established when it's already established in that area. So there would be a, a great growth of cerise lespedeza in the process of that. So you're just a little bit further behind in your in your process. So for us, we went in, drilled right through it, sprayed it, or I guess we sprayed it yesterday, and then um, drilled right through it. So we're already way ahead of the game. Now we're just waiting on some more and rain to continue that cycle because it rained there this morning so that's it's, uh that's one of the things i think that again when it comes to conventional <laughs> methods you have okay you always hear oh you gotta spray two weeks ahead and, and make sure that stuff's all dead no you don't I, we, we've been very successful um in the past few years of either spraying day of or spraying just a couple days ahead of time as that grass is just dying um and laying itself over, that's when we're planting. It doesn't have to be just a absolute dead doorknob, like brown. doesn't have to be that while you're planting. One of the biggest things I see whenever we go back in time where we would spray two weeks ahead of planting was by the time we rolled in there to plant, that, that 
cover crop or whatever it was growing had already bro- broken down enough to where when we drilled right through it, it laid it flat, mm. and it was mm. already in the ground. So when we had fresh seeds growing up, say Boop, it's soybeans, they're exposed. They didn't have that protection. So if you have a little bit of still green or living structure uh, stability in that plant, it's going to be standing to protect those young plants a little bit longer. I, I totally agree with that. And and that just the timing of it, right, you're, you're protecting that, that young, the very vulnerable um, seedling as it's growing and germinating, sprouting out above the ground. Um, obviously, that's very attractive. Um, but with that thatch that is not just laid flat against the ground, it's protecting it for a much longer period of time to get a bigger root system, to be able to tolerate browse pressure, um, just that much longer. Um, and, and the other thing, even if you were to go in and drill prior and then come back and spray right after that, like today, because you have those packing wheels and they're two, three inches wide, you're getting a lot of that grass or vegetation that might be in the field, cover crop, whatever it is, to lay over itself. And then if you were to turn and spray, you have more surface area for that herbicide to adhere to if, if unless it was you know i guess in comparison to it standing straight up if it's laid over there's just more contact for that herbicide to, and, to and hit the one important thing about that is making sure you are using a contact herbicide like glyphosate yep. and not something that's ground sure. active because as soon if it's ground active and as soon as those soybeans hit if it's a herbicide that can harm them you're gonna have trouble so um, keep that that's one, one thing to keep in mind for that Shermer, you had something you wanted to well, say I was just going to say, uh, one of the plots that you planted or that you ran the Genesis through was just that. It was a, uh, the sprout of the winter wheat, right? And mm-hmm. it was, what, almost knee-high, shin-high, somewhere in there? And just running that right through it, it just laid it over. Right. You know? It almost looked like it was dissed, but the dirt wasn't turned up. It was just laid over, mm-hmm. and the seed was just planted in there. So yeah, that's and there's some... kind of a visualization, I guess, yeah. of what you did. Exactly, yeah. To me, it almost it laid it over, and and some of it stuck up about forty at a like a forty five degree angle, and and since it had only been sprayed yesterday, it's still going to try and stand up slightly as Bear, well. So, yeah, exactly. And, and it almost serves as it's like a little I th- roof. I, th- I to me, I think of uh, I think it was Braveheart when they're like waiting for the uh, the guys on the horse on the horses to ride in and they waited and waited and then they grabbed the spears and they stuck them up at like 45 degree. It's almost like a little yeah. spear to mm-hmm. protect those young plants. So either way, keep I'm, that ground I, uh, <clears throat> temperature much lower too. I mean, if, 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 if you have exposed soil, go out and test it, go out and seriously stick a thermometer in there and then compare that to mm-hmm. something that's continually shaded. You will see a, a very large difference in the soil temperature Soil temperature is huge in germination and then preserving soil moisture and everything. So it it changes things. It, it's a different, uh, honestly, ecosystem or, or a different environment for plants. As we've always said, um, that, that, that's the much most preferred way. And, and the reason for that is you have a much better chance at, su- at survival and success by doing that. There's a lot less room for air. And so today, even though we are reaching warmer temperatures we're not as sitting here doing our best rain dance asking for it to rain tonight or tomorrow or the next day knowing that if we'd have broadcasted the seed um, we would be doing that hoping for a rain and so that's one of the biggest advantages of using a no-till drill so anyway food plot season's always it's it's a fun time 
It's a busy time. It's a busy time, but it's like one of those things. I'm already exhausted after turkey season. And then we well roll right into stick into it. You know, stick with it, right? We, we roll right into food plot season. It's like, uh by the end of this I'm like zombie mode. Yeah. And but either way it's it's like you've got to do and I wouldn't say you've got, but to really increase your chances you can you can add these spring food plots to the mix and, and establish some of those grains for not only the deer but turkey and wildlife as well. So it's uh, something we're going to be doing over the next few days. We've got the uh, heritage blend in the ground up there. We're going to finish up food plots on the home base, Prairie Hollow property, family farm, and uh, put the game changer beans in. And then I- I'm excited to try some of those. Uh, you know who's been hounding me lately? My grandpa about, about uh, the uh, the quail mix. Oh, yeah. Because I told Royal him I plan his, his garden. And his old garden, he did, I mean, he, he's 93. I don't think he's planted a garden several years. So it's just a portion of his yard that's just he has to mow. And somebody saw a, covey, a big old covey of quail in his yard um, last winter. And so he's like, I mentioned it to him. He's like, yeah, let's do it. So I'm going to plant the royal flush right there in his yard. So hopefully we can bring some some quail in. And he's a Keith boy, so I'm sure he loves those quail. <laughs> uh, he's a McVeigh. Oh, okay. It's my mom's okay. dad. but. He lo- he's still the one bloodline. that really, still he's still uh he's the one that really I mean loved quail. My dad loved quail too, but grandpa's the one that was yeah. just like ate up with it. So definitely uh something I'm excited about as well. Now, Matt, what's next? Next is what has been happening and occurring at the Prairie Hollow property for really the past probably two to three months. Um, this goes beyond the timber harvest that, that's ongoing um, on the property. We have been doing um, follow-up management techniques in the areas and then taking it a next step further and doing, basically it's it's a temporary forest opening and a permanent forest opening um, and government programs to get um, cost share benefit for those practices. And they're done. Couple up. Well, some of the temporary forest openings are done. We'll have more to do, but um, some of the permanent forest openings, a.k.a. food plots, are finished. Yeah, and I think that's a good point of saying that there is a difference between the two. The biggest difference is one is the temporary is basically laid out in areas where there's not much timber value, almost none, and we are cutting 99% of the trees. And basically, the reason for that is to get regeneration of new trees that hopefully have more value and uh, are more beneficial to the area. Um, And, and, you know, when it comes to clear cuts, that's a word that a lot of people hate, but it is such a great thing for the wildlife, especially in in this little layout to where we took two two two-acre portions and we went in and cut 99% of the trees in these areas um, by so hand, like, by, it doesn't have hand. to have big equipment to do this. This is it, all chainsaw and, yeah. and elbow grease and back braces, and uh, basically we walked walked in and and you know what, the most important thing or the the greatest thing about these two temporary forest openings is we were going to do them anyway. Oh yeah, we were going to lay out these areas to try and improve the bedding, but understanding government contracts and and cost share plans. It made sense to just see what, what they had in mind, and we talked to our Missouri Department of Conservation private lands biologist for our county and found out that there were some programs for that. So we basically basically got paid 
to do that. Now, here's the great part. Since we were already going to do that, that just means that we could take that money that we made in that cost share program and put it back into the farm in other in other ways. Maybe that's to pay for more food plots, more water holes, more redneck blinds, and more tree stands. Whatever it mm-hmm. is, we know how that money that we were going to uh, for something that we were going to do anyway. Basically, yeah, right. We were going to do it, but mm-hmm. not get the additional benefit of of a monetary aspect of things. Mm-hmm. Um, just the the habitat benefit and the hunting benefit, because again, you know, these are these are temporary forest openings, but they're in specific areas. Okay, yeah, the the timbers um, not of great value there. But they're in areas that are going to put deer in places at sanctuaries that we're not going to be bumping, that are going to be leading them to and from some of these other permanent forest openings um, and places on your family farm, too, that are already existing food plots. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think, that, great. you know, the greatest thing about it was we put them on slopes where it was a west-facing, mm-hmm. basically a whole west-facing ridge, but due to the kind of change in the some roles, of the points, some of them yeah. are north and some of them are east, um, and, and even south-facing slopes. And so it's a, a great thing because we put these in areas that we couldn't hunt before mm-hmm. because of the access and just it's hard to hunt. But we stuck one of them so close to the boundary, basically at the bottom of a bluff. So we – a lot of benefits here. We cut out two acres right off the crest of like a 15-foot elevation change to where there's huge rock outcroppings and almost a bluff in certain spots. And so we cut that out. So now we have this awesome view of the bottom fields to where during the spring, it's a great place to listen for turkeys. Mm -hmm. It's a great place to scout. And as we convert these bottom fields from kind of mediocre pasture to more of a uh, summer annuals or winter annual rotational graze cover crops, um, we're going to have deer, more deer going into those bottoms to where we can set up top and never disturb them and watch those fields. Get the intel you need. Get the intel we need. But then the other beneficial part about it is that now it's a great bedding area, but how do you hunt a bedding area? Well, you got to get there before they're coming in in the morning. So ideally you slip way around and slip in. Well, we can slip through the family farm and put a redneck or uh, put a redneck up on that blind or up on that bluff bluff to where deer are out in the bottoms or wherever they're at. And as they work their way back to that big um, temporary clear cut, we've slipped in. And we're just sitting there waiting for them to come to us. So we took an area that we couldn't hunt or haven't hunted in the past, and now we made it a great little place to hunt. So mm-hmm. um, while while improving the habitat, and that's first and foremost why we did it. So I, I'm chuckling in my head because it's it's funny of all these benefits that we're talking about, they're associated with a clear cut and how like just the name clear cut just sometimes can infuriate people or just make them scratch their head and and we just rattled off and could continue to rattle off the benefits of these areas strategically placed. Um, but it's going to be incredible for the habitat and hunting. And, and I, I encourage people to educate themselves on the clear cuts further um, and what that may happen, what basically what the response may be in their specific region of the regeneration of plants. Yeah. That, that two acre clear cut looked, it looked a lot bigger than what it was. Like right? I got the drone up and flew some, really high shots above it and it looks it looks huge and it looked really cool on that bluff too but <clears throat> just kind of what i think whenever i see it um i think that it's going to be a perfect bedding area because if you were to be in there late fall winter time mm-hmm. i think they could lay up in there and look 
all the way into that bottom field. So they if feel they wanted, you know, yeah. they feel safety looking that way. Mm-hmm. They get the wind in their favor. Um, it and, just seems like a perfect spot for it. And that's the thing, you know, it, since we the very northern bottom field had been planted, we started seeing Adam, especially right there after that timber harvest had been done on that slope. Um, initially, a lot of deer starting to bed right there um, on that west facing slope. And that was a new thing. Um, yeah. But it, in reality, it makes perfect sense. It's a close proximity to those big, large destination food plots um, or crop fields. But a, a deer is so protected there from above. You can't climb down these bluffs and rocks without spooking, um, without alerting a deer. They're going to know. They're going to know if you're coming from that direction. They're going to be able to look from below and see you coming up. And then in a lot of these areas, the wind is swirling. Um, so it's a perfect place to bed. We want them to bed there just because of proximity reasons and for additional reasons. We can't hunt it. So let's put them there. Um, so it, it all makes perfect sense. It all flows. Uh, and I think that's important uh, to basically the overall plan of any property, no matter where you're at. I think one of the biggest things that is exciting about it is you look at that ridge and that was the first place that the timber crew hit it was kind of that learning experience of how aggressive and how how much we wanted them to stop cutting or cut more aggressive you know just learning the logger and as they moved through that now that was in i think july is when they moved Mm -hmm. in and so we had a few months of growing season left but not a lot yep and uh now this year we're only a, a week or, or not a week a month into really a lot of growth and it's already just the green golly there's so much green growth in there and I mean you and Chad cut out that uh-huh. that northern um, temporary opening and you found one of our native honeysuckles in there yeah. I actually asked Kristen today Kristen mm-hmm. Bird that's our MDC private lands biologist and she said I don't see that hardly anywhere when I'm out and it was it's funny because there was that big main vine and then you look around and scattered around it there are sprouts here here and here and here and i can only assume from from this point on that it's going to continue to grow and flourish in that um partial shade environment well and and, you know i went into that uh i I walked the edges with her because she had to put throw Mm -hmm. a gps on it and i walked in there and there was a slender milkweed growing on that south facing Mm -hmm. slope and wouldn't you know it, as soon as I walked up to it, here came a bumblebee, buzzed yep, in, it. and then flew off. And it's like, you know, here's this slope that has been just closed canopy, very just n- a little bit of value. Honestly, it can be summed up in just poor habitat. It was just poor, yeah. It's poor. And we open up that canopy, and immediately we're starting to see – I mean, we're seeing browse all over the trees oh, yeah. that we just dropped – we're seeing browse on all the new growth that's coming up. We're seeing all these new plants that we haven't seen because they've been so suppressed. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just very encouraging to one, continue doing it. We not don't even one year. Not even one not year. Not even one year. And this is the change so far that we're seeing. And guess what? We haven't even burned it yet. Exactly. And so that's the, to me, uh, and, you know, as we said last week, there's been a little bit of uh, a few people that are a little bit concerned when they mm-hmm. drive by and see it. And they're like, well, there's tree tops everywhere. It looks kind of nasty. It's like, give me five years. I, I say walk in there. Tell yeah. me what's so bad. Yeah. Look look across the ground and then go go back to your property and tell me 
was was your still leaves or was it green underneath because that's forage that's covered and i think this is an interesting point for Sherman to step in here on this because um we've in the last i mean it's changed a lot for us in the last 10 years he's still kind of new to this whole mindset or really diving in and and oh man i I did you just say it i just said it Uh i heard Uh it Uh, we're gonna have to set up like a jar (laughs) a jar to where like (laughs) oh man it's like a curse jar i said it i have to put a dollar (laughs) in there oh it's going to be a can of worms and then dive on in (laughs) or dive in dive on in whatever it is we're gonna have some combination and by the end of it we're gonna go buy a new truck Seriously, by bo- podcast 500, we will have tons of money to play with. We'll buy a new ranch. Yeah. <laughs> so, From the phrase, dive on in, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. Well, this, this phrase bought us, or that phrase bought us a ranch. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, and I think for him, you know, I say this all the time, nature loves chaos, nature loves chaos, nature loves um, diversity and, and everything like that. But if you were, I will admit it, if you were a person that have gotten used to seeing the closed canopy forest or the park-like setting, and you drove by a timber harvest like that, you immediately say, it's ugly. <laughs> you almost cringe a little yeah. bit. Oh, yeah. And, and I say, I told this to Kristen today, I don't hate trees. You don't hate no. trees. None of us hate trees. I love trees. I love nature more probably just as much as the biggest nature lover out there. Probably even just, I, I, I may even love it more than the person who chained themselves to a tree. Um, to, okay, pr- to, stop the, <laughs> to stop the dozers. Hey, he dove on into that situation. Hey, he, he can't say much to me considering our, uh, our conversation, our movie, our movie conversation before. So um, why don't you go watch a chick flick? So anyway, fine. Um, I told her, I, I just don't, I, I don't hate trees, but what I hate seeing is trees fighting with each other to be healthy. And when I see a closed canopy forest, I see unhealthy trees. Now, they may not seem that way from the outside, but if you were to check out the growth rings of a tree that has been growing in a closed canopy forest versus a woodland or a savanna, you're going to see a big difference. And that big difference means that tree is growing faster because it is getting more nutrients. It is a healthier tree. It's in a healthier environment to be able to grow bigger and better. I think that just an understanding of of tree species and what their role is in the environment, you're able to look at something and say, "Ah, that forest, that timber stand shouldn't be like that. You know, this site should be different. It should have um, more open canopy should have larger canopies fuller trees um grasses underneath forbs underneath sedges yeah but it just it doesn't it doesn't and today whenever we went into that spot there were sedges i pointed those out to you and so that goes back to my original question Shermer, think about your development as understanding timber management and and how the nature you you hear me talk all the time about the natural history of of our landscape and so just kind of break down that whole seeing a timber harvest versus park setting or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess you could describe most of our farm as a park setting, except I would, I would say maybe a park setting has a little bit more grass underneath. Whereas we have more leaves. But, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. It's, it's, I was telling Adam on the way back too. it's, it's a different thing to actually, to see it. Like, mm-hmm see it either being take taken place or the results after 
and some of the shoots we went on last year and then today what i saw at the prairie hollow um it does it looks like a tangled mess but you know when you walk up in it and and you're standing in the clear cut the harvest or the tsi unit you just feel the sun coming in and yeah. it just feels like there's more life around you or mm-hmm. that there's going to be more life around you. Um, and it's really cool. And it's something that we're working on really hard on our farm right now. Uh, we just have a lot of work ahead of us, but we're starting with those cedars. And I told Adam this too. Um, it, it's awesome to see results. And I, I saw results in one of our burn units. I had cleared about uh, probably about an acre. Me and my dad had cleared about an acre of cedars yep. and, um, in that burn unit where it's not been opened up during turkey season there's birds have been hanging out there i was chasing them and i sat up against a tree and i was like i'm gonna get picked out here because there's nothing it's <laughs> right just right black dirt and trees mm-hmm. like there's soot and trees um and then i walked to get on those birds but anyways i walked to that that cedar thicket that we had cut and it's just lush green grass green. in that one area mm-hmm. and i remember even like whenever i was cutting it where it had been nothing yeah, underneath us yeah just a monoculture just straight cedar and it's it was hard to walk through like it took a long time just to cut that little bit right but man it even after like i'll say after i cut it without any burning and nothing it just felt different in that area the sun yeah. was there that it had probably hadn't been there in years yeah <laughs> the ground's like what what, what is, is this, this warm thing <laughs> So yeah, it, it's just cool to see, um, and I I love seeing it because it just inspires me and my dad more just to go out and, and do it to our farm. Sure. Um, so, well, and, and that's the point, you know, of why we started the QMA branch in that area is to not only bring more awareness just to um, deer hunting heritage and everything, but is to do field days and get people mm-hmm. um, who may listen to the podcast or may not or just read about this stuff, um, and you know they they they. Just don't have that, you know, in the setting, personal, I'm seeing this, seeing is believing. Um, you know, I'm not in the field seeing these changes happen like you you yeah. have been and you've been you were there today to see it and witness it. Um, so the Prairie Hollow property in these field days through the branch is going to be that opportunity. Um, and we're we're excited about that. Yeah, that's good, man. Yeah, expose as many people as you can because right. You know, you can agree with it all day, but until you see it, you're like, oh, I get it. I, that for me, at least, you know, some other people might be different, but that right. Was, you know, I, I think you know, we, we talked about it, joked about it. Um, you get like a lot of head nod stuff, like in the podcast. Yeah, I can agree. I can I can agree with what <laughs> hey, they're saying. I'm, I'm head nodding. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Conscious thinking, not to do yeah. That. Keep head still. Yeah. <laughs> I am agreeing with you inside, though. <laughs> yeah, but seeing is totally believing, and that full picture just it just comes so clear when you're when you're a part of it. Um, so that's why I got you know in the field visuals representations. Like it's like the aha moment. It's more than just the light bulb because the light bulb's already gone off as you're agreeing with maybe what you're hearing on the podcast, or whatever. But now it's like revelational hopefully it's like wow holy cow this is so different oh totally and when you see that green and then you see all the brows and then you see all the other the diversity within the green it's just it's very encouraging so going back now we we talked about the temporary forest openings and basically to give you kind of the rundown is it goes anywhere for our county 250 to 300 dollars an acre and that's so you know, I mean you do the math on that and if for us this has been the huge benefit we're doing the work ourselves we're not having to pay anybody so either we can take that money 
and put in our pocket like we were the hired labor. Or we can then take that money and go, oh, we need a new chainsaw, or we need to go buy this equipment, or we need to, mm-hmm. we want to buy more food plot seed or fruit trees. I need we more now trail have, cameras. We need more be. trail cameras. Uh, we now have that money available, mm-hmm. and we've improved the habitat, but use that money to help us down the road. And for us, it's always been about okay, well, let's just put it back how, in. How can we p- put this back in? It's because it's, it's a hobby. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. It's it's. It's Instead an investment. Buying, it's an investment. If you're a financial person, it's totally, it's just an investment. I know your mm. minds probably are going there, but just keep putting back in, back mm. in, the because the result will be so much greater down the road. And I look at it, I'm like, it's it's like, I, this is now my hobby. You and I mm. talked about it on the way back. Shermer was like, I don't fish hardly much anymore. I don't play golf anymore. I don't go spear fishing and scuba diving much anymore. I go to the farm and work the ground or just work on the land and and so this is just fun to me and to actually somehow find a way to make some money on it to then do more i'm encouraging everybody to do that but don't it don't let that stop you to where well if i'm not going to get paid i'm not going to do it do it anyway but try to find these little advantages to help yourself out or or explain to your wife hey i'm going to make money on the farm that would probably go over pretty well I had a question, and I don't know if you have the answer, but is there like a limit on how many of those you could do or the acreage you can do? That's Great a question. Very good question. So um, with the temporary forest openings, as I said, they're kind of designed to be put in places where there's not great ter- – they're not going to let you do this in a in a wide oak flat where yeah. you're dropping. But it was junk timber where we were at. <laughs> and for that program is one per every 40 acres. Okay. So it can be gridded out differently, but – one per every 40 acres. And and so, like, and it can be up to two or three acres. I can't remember correctly, but it's like it has a top. And so that uh, goes into the MDC funding versus federal funding. Now, from what I understand, and this is a podcast that's coming in the future talking about government programs. And as I said, somebody there'll be like five podcasts probably that, that cover it, and we won't have to. But, uh Government programs in for state here at MDC, you can enter in and have like a cap of six thousand dollars, and so you can find ways to make that money on the farm as whether that's clear cut, edge feathering, ponds, whatever. And but on the federal side, there's not a cap from what I understand to where you do these equip programs to where if you're doing glade restoration, woodland restoration, oak savanna restoration, pollinators you can just keep doing it as long as you're implementing. Now, what will hurt you is signing up and doing that and or signing up to do it and then not going through with it will you hurt you. You have to you. follow through. Right. And mm-hmm. so for us, now that we're kind of getting a track record of we signed up, we did it, and so we get a little bit higher on that list uh, to where – It's like a preference. Yeah. Hey, so, they, they've showed good favor. They're actually doing it. Let's continue to – reward them it, it helps us yeah so you as, have to kind of work towards that federal you have to kind of work towards getting is that what you're saying no it, with federal it's a little different because like uh, we aren't doing any federal things right now because we're doing the logging operation yeah. once we finish that we need to do a forestry management plan by somebody um <coughs> in that department and so or a certified uh oh it just left my brain Forester? C- csp or what do they call it oh that? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, a forester, and we get a written TSP. plan. Te- TSP, that technical, technical service, service provider. provider. Um, we get a we get a forestry management plan written, and then we can do 
blade restoration or woodland restoration, we can start qualifying for that. Right, be the federal. So right now we're holding because we're doing the timber harvest. And, and the, the budgets and everything change. So that's why, like, the, there's a kind of the preference, oh, you're, you guys are doing well. Well, you guys can, can get this money hopefully before everyone else does it. If there's a big list or, or a, a holdup, like one of our clients planted, um, oh, gosh, probably 120 acres. 120, yeah, 120 acres of warm season grasses. And he was – Forbes. That was the big part of it. Oh, yeah, huge. Because um, it was a quail program. yeah. I want to say it was open for like a day in his county, and he was one of like three people who actually got acreages um, awarded to him to be able to plant it. Um, but there was a longer list. So, you know, you can build that up, but there is a cap on that. Yeah. And so that's that goes with, uh, once again, saying it's there for us to use, but don't let it prevent you from. That's the biggest message I'll, I'll preach all day long about government programs is don't try to like – rely on the government to do your work but the yeah. the money is set aside for these programs so if you're doing it try to i encourage improved you to check habitat them out. is better than not improving habitat just whichever way you go about it, using government programs or not or you have to wait a year but you'd rather see it done go ahead and do it and so i'll, I'll explain a little bit about the permanent forestry opens uh or permanent that's what not permanent forest openings, openings. and those have to be de-rooted so all the trees there had to be weathered however it is those root wads have to be pulled up so we had a track loader he came in and did i mean he went to work he did a fantastic job and then i mean he floated it and it's flat and you saw it Shermer. Yeah. it looks it looks great it's all flat usually it's all tore up after it after or, a big dozer gets yeah in. you even even when they do de-stump you can still see some depressions typically where stumps used to be it just didn't fill correctly i've seen that a lot and typically Woo! that's with this is not your, that case your excavators like, yeah i see that a lot it, when boom pull it out and then they don't i mean it'd take a lot of time for them to smooth it back out so I mean, I, I've seen all of them, but I can promise you right now that right now I'm a big fan of the track loader way because that <laughs> looks good. Yeah. And he's going to have an awesome bonfire, too. Oh, <laughs> yeah. dude, those we're going to see them from outer space. Yeah, it, that's the thing about it is, I mean, there's <laughs> those trees were junk <laughs> on those ridges. And yeah. so there was a few decent trees that we'll pull out and run through a sawmill and get some slabs out of them. But for the most part, there wasn't really much value. So... Um, we have big old treetops there that are kind of pushed off the side. We're going to plant kind of away from them. No one, we're not going to plant right up to them because it ain't going to last because it's going to get hot. Very, very hot. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, that those areas, 500 bucks an acre is what the program is. And so, um, I mean, they're two acres, so basically 1000 bucks a food plot. And then you add all that together. So There's to give three you an of idea, those three of those and two, two of the temporary temporaries. So basically, what happened was our dozer bill was just over five thousand, and all said and done, we made fifty nine hundred and some change. Hmm. And so, since we didn't take out any of the money from the temporary, we basically have nine hundred plus dollars to to the positive, to the put, good, put back into whatever wow. it is we decide to do. And now we have three food plots, three awesome-looking food plots, and, and two really great bedding areas. So uh, yeah, and the, like this is six acres worth of food plot. Like that's a that's a healthy amount. Yeah. Um, and we didn't have to pay anything for it. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, and and now we have, as we talk more and more about edge, it's just 
whenever we've talked about the color coordinating habitats and and different things is we went from having all red if you will for closed canopy forest and now we've got three big huge green dots in the middle of that and then two big blue dots in the middle mm-hmm. of it so it's breaking up that monotony and I want it, I told you I want a glitter party on when it's all said and done where it's just a bunch of confetti spread out everywhere. So um, very fragmented landscape, and that's what we're going for. So that broke down the whole uh, food plot, temporary and permanent forestry openings and kind of the price ranges for everything. But I know we have one more big thing to cover. And this is one of those things that's been you – know, we've, we've also talked about, you know, this, especially this time of year, you see the post, you see um, these topics come up. Um, but one that I hope with talking about these temporary forest openings and things that you can be doing on your property itself, um, we're going to pose the question. I want everyone to think and consider the property that they hunt. Uh, maybe it's the property that you own. Maybe it's the property that you manage, you lease, whatever it is, wherever you hunt. Um, turkeys in a lot of places are sitting on nests. Fawns are getting ready to drop. If you were a, if you were a doe, mature doe, or you were a a hen building a nest, sitting on a nest. Is there an ideal spot? Is there the appropriate cover on the place that you hunt? Is it even even present? Like, can you imagine it? If you're thinking, if you already don't have, if you, I mean, if you're thinking about a place, you're trying to be like, oh, well, there's a treetop over there, then one treetop probably is not going to do it. But if you're automatically thinking, oh, I got that spot over there, that's thick, I got this over here, that's that's good and thick, uh, I got scattered places, now you're on your way. But if, if you're struggling to find an area on those places that you hunt, there's an issue. Huge issue. And I think one of the, you know, in the quail world, they throw out softballs and, and see if they can see the softball through mm-hmm. the habitat. Um, I've seen people, I think MSU deer lab throughout a basketball, basketball or, or something. Football. Yeah. And, uh, basically because same thing, if you can see the basketball, then you need to improve the habitat. And if you can't see the basketball, then you have adequate early successional young forest, um, to where you can, uh, a fawn is, has a better chance at surviving. And so when you think about that, then maybe go, take your kid's basketball out and go toss it around in the woods or toss it around on the edge of a field and see how many times you can see it. Um, because there will be a big, there's a big issue. We go back to that park setting. If you have a large part of your property is closed canopy hardwoods and you can see 200 yards through it. Think about a doe trying to have successfully raise a fawn in that landscape. And and it's not only the first three weeks of, of life. We're talking the first four Four to six months of life for I, a fawn. I don't like, think coyotes and other predators stop after three weeks. Right. They're like, oh, yeah, you're big enough. Wow, we're good. <laughs> you need that continued growth, continued cover. So it, basically, if you're thinking, oh, well, there, there's a, uh, a hay field down the bottom, that hay field probably is going to get cut at some point during the summer. That's not going to be adequate cover for that fawn to make it. We're trying to recruit fawns. We're trying to recruit poults into an adult um, life cycle. Like, if you don't have the appropriate habitat and cover to get it there, period, bar none, you're gonna be um, behind on the curve, if you will. And there's we can go bunch of different directions with this, but I mean, think about it. Like start this. of life is the most important. Oh, for sure. And if my wife and I are, let's say we're gonna have a baby, and 
we're not going to take it to the big city and go down a dark alley and say, let's have it here. Yeah. Is it the perfect place? Yeah, it's dark. Nobody yeah. else is here. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing that in a dough. Did you or just a, hear a switchblade? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is that sound? Oh, we're good here. We're fine. Oh, it's a guy with a shovel. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, Why is he raising it over his head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not... Don't worry, sir. We're just going to raise a child here. Yeah. So that's one of those things. A doe or a or a hen. They're not gonna. They're not searching for places to have their offspring that aren't safe. Mm-hmm. Now the problem is, they may live in a landscape that doesn't offer a safe place. So they have to try to find the best that they can. And when they do that, there's a less likely chance that that offspring is going to survive. And when you look at the landscape that we have created due to poor management, there's a large portion of that that doesn't have the adequate cover or habitat for successful. I would I would be no doubt majority, uh, and I don't want to throw out a percentage because I I don't I don't know a percentage, but we are so far behind on quality habitat to raise and and grow pults and fawns successfully and and in numbers um that i think honestly have in the past and we've been spoiled oh we've been extremely spoiled when you think about like how many dairy farmer farms have you hunted and in your life where you're like man those turkeys are always out there those dairies (laughs) and and the habitat is poor but here's the issue with with that is when then we have a a weather front or a, a season of, of poor weather. So let's use the last two years, for example. We've had massive flooding during fawning and, and, nesting, po- and season. nesting season. Massive floods. I mean, I, I remember a, a rain of six inches and another one of four. 11 in 24, 36 hours. And when you have that and then top that with poor habitat, that's when you see a drastic decrease in, in populations. Mm-hmm. And so now... We're we're in a little bit of a lull to where there's a lot of panic here in Missouri, especially because turkey numbers are down, and we're trying to figure out why. And then you go into this spring that we've had of of cooler temperatures, so the birds that weren't there or were there weren't gobbling real well. And to where now it's like, oh my gosh, what what can we point the finger at? <laughs> where and, is and, it gonna fall? I I can tell you. And and I'm a little bit. I mean, I'm gonna just give it to you straight right here, but. Take that finger and turn around and point it back at yourself because we're all responsible for the poor habitat we have in our landscape due to lack of education or not not doing it or, or riding the easy train and saying, well, there's turkeys there. Let's, I don't really need to do anything. Yeah. But I, I, hear that, I hear need- that so much with turkeys. And, and their survival rate per egg laid to actual adult recruiting to adult um, age structure for a turkey is horrible. I mean, really? horrible. Quail is 10%. Make it through the first year, I think. Uh, Turkeys is just above that, but I mean, it's bad. I know. I think they say 70% of quail don't make it to the next year is what it, we it heard is. at our quail forever meeting. So Four. it's, it's terrible either way. Terrible, terrible, terrible. <laughs> but the, where the rubber meets the road is habitat. And, and, and here's an example. We t- you just brought up rainstorms and, and drought. Um, a lot of times in, in areas like that timbers or, or habitats not managed, the, the thickest places are along 
creek banks and you know that's just all oh, it's always mm-hmm. thick because you know it's not maintained we don't go in there um to to plant right there against the creek or, or whatever but those are the areas get flooded but that's that's where most of the fawns may be or or where turkeys may be nesting because that's the only cover that they have or that's the best cover and boom they get they get flooded um whereas if you were to take some of that quality cover that might be right there along the creek that we haven't manipulated or changed and and move it out from those areas hey now we're looking somewhere now we might have the ability to okay i can't control the floods but i can control the habitat and i can put it in places where that flood is not going to interfere with the nesting as much as if i hadn't done anything if that makes sense and that's just one small example i just that Whenever he was talking about the floods, and I remember it was last spring, yeah, because mm-hmm. we had to use a John boat to cross whenever we turkey hunting. Yeah, but um, I, that that what you just said immediately popped in my head. It's like okay, like around our farm, we have river roads that pop up all mm-hmm. over around our bottoms, mm-hmm. and it's really thick cover. So I imagine turkeys are probably uh, nesting in there, yeah. trying to raise their young there. Let's move that back up on the ridge where we have, you know, where we can right. keep them safe. If that there that is same. A flood you know, composition of cover, yeah. but right. Let's not, let's not just have that focus it yeah. right here or only have it right here yeah. because of just default of the, the natural habitat, but let's increase the quality of habitat elsewhere, mm-hmm. displace where the hens are going to nest. They're just going to go default there because that's the best, but man, don't, don't force them into a situation where if you do have that massive rain, they're, they're kind of SOL. Yeah, for sure. You were looking at me and Matt. Come on, man. And uh, I, I think of uh, not just having great habitat in the bottoms. Like, try to. What do you think? Wh- what what word am I thinking right now? Diversity. Oh, having yeah. that early succession, that that great nesting, fawning habitat. Not just in bottoms. Not just on ridge tops. Not just on south facing slopes not just on north-facing slopes, but try to break that up to where you have it in the timber, you have it on the edge of fields, you have it in a Some portion fields. of a small field yeah. or a little opening in the woods. Try to have it it's scattered around to where there's not just one hen or one doe that's going to try and raise, a, uh, raise young on your property. Giving them that ability to search out several places across the farm is only going to improve it and allow you to have better populations. That goes right into last week's long rant we have way not enough time on this one but when we talk about that edge habitat that we we're wanting to add on the edge of all of our food plots that we're establishing this year of of native grasses wildflowers and then you do the edge feathering you do that around all your little openings you're going to have just a a huge amount right there around your food plots then you throw in some of these temporary forest openings and some really aggressive tsi or a timber harvest now you have great habitat throughout the entire landscape where a deer a doe or a fawn or a doe or a hen doesn't have to go very far to find great cover to, to raise a young and, and that's the thing it's like okay we we blamed oh those two last springs darn them and all that rain well if you had the right habitat and the and the right places Maybe those rains wouldn't affect it that much. And we haven't even brought into, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this topic now, is predators. Is how many times do predators get a bad name for the drop in 
you know, fawn recruitment rate or turkey, um, you know, not being successful in nesting and, and, and hatching. Um, 100% of the time, not yeah. really. It feels like it anymore. It feels- 100%, 100% of the time is pretty, I mean, I would say that over 75% of the time, it seems like it. I know it is on social media. It, it's, to where ba- it's bad, honestly. People- I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It's pretty bad. And and that the, this is why we're talking about like, the rubber meets the road is if you have the proper habitat that that turkey can nest or that fawn can hide, chances are it's going to have a better chance or a tougher chance of getting spotted, right? I mean, yep. it, just by default. And then if it does get spotted it's got a scape cover around it not just one treetop in the middle of the woods that the first coyote is going to pass going to stick its note in, nose into it's got the ability to escape and then to hide again we have to have that and if you don't have it then sure you're going to blame a coyote but that coyote is not the issue it's the habitat i was hunting <clears throat> the public land the beginning of the first or the last week of uh Missouri turkey season mm-hmm. and a lot of the area that I was hunting right next to the food plots they had just let let them grow up to uh-huh. native grasses whatever I jumped three hens off their nest and like what you just said they just ran like 30 yards and just stood squatted there. yeah and yeah. it's like they were hiding from me and some mm-hmm. of them I couldn't even I mean I could hear them and then they just stopped yeah they were just right there but that tall grass it was chest high and it was like they had all the cover in the world. You right. Know, they could they could bury their eggs in there. It was, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing. It's like we, we continue to uh, – to them, you were a predator. But they evaded you because you got basically into their bubble. But then they got far enough away, which really wasn't that far, 30 yards. So if, if you compare that to a hen, if, if she's on a, on a nest in the middle of a big open timber, but you got one treetop, you bump her off that – um, she's not going to stop at 30 yards, basically. She's going to continue to run and get out of sight from you. Um, so we have to have the right composition of, of habitat in place for them to successfully nest and rear young. And that goes, I mean, right into our podcast, is the coyote really to blame? When you think yeah. about predation and, and how, I mean, if, if you have the healthiest doe out there, chances are a predator is not going to be able to get her. And and you look at historically with wolves and everything preying on these large herds of they weren't they weren't attacking and killing the healthiest animal they were finding the weak links the ones that were already injured yeah and that and it's the same way in 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 the woods of southern Missouri is the deer that are injured have a better chance at being predated on mm-hmm. the deer that are sick or the turkeys that are sick there's a better chance I mean that's why white turkeys have such a sl- smaller chance of survivals because they get predated on so much because they don't have the camouflage that the others do. So, um, and, and that's why poults that are in horrible habitat get predated on. That's why fawns who are in the wide open get predated on. And then you look at what else is raising young during the spring. Well, all kinds of stuff. There's birds, there's, rabbits. there's rodents, there's rabbits that are just pumping a pile of them out there if you have the right habitat to where you actually have a healthy population of rabbits, to where a coyote doesn't have to go very far before he bumps into something else that may not be a fawn or a turkey poult. If and you've never seen, like, a young rabbit, they are oh, so easy to catch, and they scream, <laughs> and everyone comes running to help them. It's like, that's such an easy meal. If I was a coyote, I'd be like, where is the cottontail? Yeah. Give me a cottontail right now. Yeah, and, and he's doing the same thing. He's working to survive. Oh. And he's a native predator. That we have here. And so 
It's not, let's eliminate all the predators here. Now, I certainly believe that you could help your populations of, of prey species out by removing more nest predators, but there's a lot of research that shows that the coyote actually helps by predating on those nest predators, such as raccoons and skunks and possums. And so I think that's certainly something that you could think about is, okay, maybe when I trap, I'm going to trap a bunch of nest predators because I, I know I'm hurting on that. But I don't think, I think, I know that you're better off focusing on habitat and then the I'm, I'm going to say 100% of the time. Oh, yeah. And that's, that, that's again, why um, the, the this podcast is focused around habitat. Again, the rubber meets the road of habitat. You make changes, deer respond, plant might, communities respond. I might need to add rubber meets the road on this. Cup. Seriously. Well, no, it's just you took away <laughs> dive in. Can we at least put open up a can of worms on that one, too? We can't. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's a joke, man. Come on. <laughs> I added a cup here for the people listening that uh, I added a cup that says dive in jar. So it's our little, if you say it, you have to add a dollar. We need to whatever. get seriously a piggy bank or a mason jar and just do it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, that goes right there with, with habitat, habitat, habitat. Let's, let's not blame something that's a, a small portion of maybe an issue, but let's look at the overall issue of less habitat, poor habitat that we have across the landscape. And that goes from invasive species to unmanaged timber to... I'm going to struggle with this one, but bush hogging at the wrong time of the year for no apparent reason. That's one yeah. of those no, that just... Clean it up. Got to clean it up. Got to clean it up. I'm going to go bush hog. I'm going to slick her off. And so that's one of those that's like, yeah, man. Or... Or they do that right before deer season. It's like, i got to clean, clean up those fields so I can see them yeah. deer. Uh, well, like, I didn't get around to bush hogging it, and now she's gotten away from me, so I better go ahead and just slick her off for deer season. I didn't cut hay. I mean, oh, I, better, yeah. I better bush, her, bush so hog it. So I can it, see know? the deer. Yeah. And the deer run through it 100 miles an yeah. hour. And like, or what just, in the world happened? Or, or just go around the edges like, I'm not getting myself into that <laughs> yeah, field. Are you a, kidding me? That's a gauntlet. That's a death trap. There's <laughs> so, orange dots all around this. I can smell the bacon grease from here. Yeah. <laughs> and so and that's, that's just oh, one of those things. Coffee. I mean, we talk about that. Let's, you know, you had a conversation with our, our, our game yeah. warden. Gar, game warden. Man, I'm really struggling today. Um, about the harvest, 2018 harvest, and how traditionally Douglas County, good old Booger County in Missouri, kills over about it was 700. Six to 700 birds annually in the spring. That's a three-week season, too. So typically, that, that's a lot of birds in yeah. a county. It's a big county, but still, six to 700 birds each year. And I That's to total, him. too, not youth yeah. and... Yes, okay. yes. Um, and I talked to him Thursday, Thursday of the last week. And at that time, Douglas County had checked in 293 birds for this spring. And he's still estimating, you know, there's going to be quite a few. It's great weather. Birds are starting to work. Um, so I don't know the exact total, but no doubt it was 40 to 35% at least below average for this specific county. And then again, when we go back and look at, okay, the last two springs, what would be easy to blame it on the rains that we've had, the untimely rains. No. But I, I go a step further. We go a step further and talking about, well, was the right habitat in place? Because you're if the if the right habitat is in place, or or excuse me, if it's not in place, the these factors are going to play much larger into your. 
deficits, basically. You know what? You know what? The rain sucked. You know what else sucked? My the habitat. habitat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just as guilty as anybody. I mean, you look at my family farm, and, and growing up, we grazed the woodlots. And so there's the woodlots, are, we're still in this working TSI for, uh, period where we're trying to get more early secession. We're trying to get more into woodland setting where we have more um, habitat. But it's a work in progress. And so we're going to continue doing that, knowing that in the future we're going to have much better populations because we have more ideal habitat. And so when a rain or a drought come along, we're going to sit back and say, now we may take a little bit of a hit, but we know at the end of the day, the end of the year, we're still going to have many seasons to come. Oh, yeah. And, and it's just uh, – I'm going to throw out these numbers real quick. Um, and these were pulled off uh, MDC's um, website. So – this incredible website um, about basically turkey harvests over the past basically 10 years here in Missouri to give a rough estimate of some changes in turkey population um, as, as well as hunter recruitment rate. So in 2003, 58,000 birds were harvested in the state of Missouri. That's the spring three-week season. Um, 130,000 permits were sold for that year. Um, we get down to 2011, 42,000 birds were harvested, only 100,000, 101,000 permits sold. Um, and that's not, in, that's not including, excuse me, the landowner permits, which is roughly around 40,000. So now we dive into 2018, which everyone knows, you know, it's, it's basically a, uh, a down year for everyone across the state. Um, that's representative here in these numbers. 35,787 turkeys harvested um, and only 97,000 permits sold. So we're not having as many hunters, maybe because of the decrease in success or the decrease in um, birds, the opportunities to chase. But we go from 58,000 birds harvested 2003 to 35,787 in 2018. That's a big change. Yeah. Look how low the permits are, too. Yeah. I mean, these permits, permits are, are dropping. So here's the biggest thing to learn. Habitat's almost getting worse, if we want to say that. I, I think, I'll, I believe I'd it is. It. Yeah. Habitat is getting worse, and we're losing hunters. Yep. Our biggest mission as a hunter is not to kill our best hitless buck this fall of 2018. Our mission is to look around and see who we can get back into the woods that may have dropped out or has not yet been to the woods who can we pull to the woods to get them addicted to the outdoors to where they continue to buy tags help conservation and get more of a love for the land instead of buying their food from the grocery store and not having a clue where it comes from let's get them back into the greatest grocery store of them all and that's the great outdoors and once they're there educate them on the habitat itself managing the habitat, the right steps to take, because the conservation dollars, the tags, the license are so incredibly important, but we don't want to stop there. <laughs> we'll be greedy, and we want to say, let's educate those hunters. Let's educate these landowners. Um, let's educate these outdoor enthusiasts to understand, okay, beyond just hunting license sales, what else is changing? And it's the habitat, and again, that's what is, is the foundation for the animals we chase the success that we see, the opportunities that we are allotted each year. So we need to focus on that 
as well, in addition to recruiting hunters. And think outside the box. It doesn't just come to taking them out during gun season and saying, hey, let's go let's go deer hunting. Let's go enjoy yeah. deer camp. Think about trying to get them involved during the summer months. And, and you know, some people, they can be addicted to the outdoors and, and never pull, put the crosshairs on a deer. They could be addicted to the outdoors by going out and trying to save pollinator and save some bat or save whatever it is. A, a hellbender in the in the rivers mm-hmm. there's all ki- it takes all kinds and so just getting people in the outdoors helps all of us whether they're a hunter or not they're still getting in the outdoors and putting their putting their dollars and improving the improving nature one of the biggest things i think we're seeing as a trend right now is shed hunting and that i think has brought in so many basically non-hunters or wives or, or girlfriends um or j- again just non-hunters who are guys middle-aged guys are like you're going out walking. It's kind of like a hike, right? Yeah, but you just helped me look for the sheds of my hit list buck. And you're like, whatever, I'll go with you. But it's fun. It's engaging. They're getting them outdoors. That's a start. Um, mushroom, find those activities. Mushroom yeah, hunting. mushroom hunting. Um, yeah, it, it's just so important to to think outside the box, just beyond, again, pulling the triggers. Not everyone's ready for that year one. No. And that's, I, that's I, perfectly fine. Not at all. Mentor them. Get them there to that stage if they want to be there. Yeah. If not, respect them. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, it's definitely so. Uh, it's time to wake up. Really, it's time to look around and say, okay, let's improve habitat. Let's get people <laughs> in the outdoors, and let's think about. Would you rather? What's that movie where he's like, "Wake up, idiot"? <laughs> Were you thinking of that? No. It's like Talladega Nights or something, or or. Uh, oh yeah. He's like, I'm gonna stick a knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just remember that? the line. Yeah. Don't you do that. Wake up, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up, idiot. You're not hurt? Yeah. No. <laughs> that no. leg, you could Don't feel you that. put that li- knife in your leg. I, I just bought a van. Movie. It's actually out there right now. now. I'm thinking maybe it's, it's real Step nice. Brothers. Is it Step Brothers? I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was Napo- Napoleon Dynamite whenever he said, know. Wake up, idiot. Um, anyway. Would you rather watch Talladega Nights or <laughs> <laughs> Step Brothers? Would you rather watch Talladega Nights or Step Brothers? I'm gonna say step. I'm gonna go, go cut some trees. <laughs> Matt, Matt would I've say seen the them choice. Too much. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fine. A little that's inside joke on Matt's love for chick flicks. So, I would you rather? I loved them. Uh, well, we assumed that when you said you liked the choice. That's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good movie. Watch it with your wife; that she'll yeah. appreciate it. Uh, you probably didn't even watch it with your wife. I did. You probably I did. watched it. I, I would bet a You're twenty dollar bill that you watched it before you. You watched it on your own or, or somewhere down the road, and then you were like, hey, hey, wifey, why don't we watch this movie? It's really good. Yeah, yeah. Got, yeah. Hold on. I bet he got a little choked up when he watched it by himself. The first time. I, I had to get the yeah. tissue box from the bathroom first. So I I d- yeah, then I could prepare myself so I didn't cry in front of my wife when we watched it the second time. I knew what was coming. No. Get up. Get up. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, you know, it's. I'm kind of, it's kind of sorry. I'm a little bit of a loser. I cried here by myself. I'm going to get my wife here next time. (laughs) Babe, you're not, you're not getting choked up like I thought you would. (laughs) I'm even a bigger loser. (laughs) Oh gosh. So that got out of hand. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Um, Would you rather is this week brought to you by Stratton Seed Company out of Stuttgart, Arkansas. Uh, that's something we're really excited about. Of course, you, we've had them on the podcast, and as you guys know, we're developing some seed blends and working uh, working with their soybeans and, and getting some great stuff out there. It's uh, 
great great prize point, really quality seed, and exciting things in the food plot world. Um, so if you don't know anything about them, check them out on Facebook and online at GoStratonSeed.com, I believe is That's the right it. website. And they're, of course, building a website right now. Or, or It's up, but they're trying to tweak it on their wildlife blend. So there's more things coming. If it's not there right now, it will be there very soon. Anything else, guys? Well, I know we still have the Would You Rather. Well, you don't have to point that finger at me. No, I'm saying check these out on uh, on YouTube and Facebook. Videos, oh, yeah, these videos. these Facebook videos. Yeah. Um, awesome. or, I mean, you can see me wear the same videos. shirt and hat every week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's on a rotation, actually. Yeah. Um, the week one. Week that's two why, outfit. That's why, week I didn't, three. that's why I didn't wear a hat today. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not wearing the same hat. Break the, the same cycle. Shirt. Diversity. So. I need to have diversity on my head. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That was probably a thought in his head. Yeah, <laughs> diversity. See, I've got I've got red red hair on my face. I've got white hairs on in my on top of my head. Brown hairs. I got diversity all over yeah. here. So, oh, would you rather, Matt? Would you rather get a tag this fall for Montana? No. Oh. For Milk River whitetails. <laughs> or would you rather be in Alberta? Spot and stalk. Whitetails. You're a jerk. <laughs> um, because those are some bucket list hunts right there. Um, I'm probably going to go with Alberta. Um, out of country. Not been out of country yet. Um, I like the spot and stalk challenge. That would be awesome. Um, incredible country up that way. I have not obviously seen. So I'm doing that. I'm going. Alberta. Good old U.S. of A. is good enough for me. I'm going to Montana. Shermer, you give, give me Montana. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Take me to Montana, just not, like the old country not that song I don't says. Like Canada. Not that I don't like Canada. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, it's a beautiful country, Montana. That's right. I, 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 feel like, I feel like that Stars and bars, baby. <laughs> that opportunity... Um, to go hit Montana is more likely than in Alberta yeah. down the road. So that's that's it. I mean, would I be disappointed in either one? No. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not. No. Can't go wrong. No, absolutely. Um, all right, let's go with, for you two, um, a black bear hunt in Utah or a black bear hunt in um, West Virginia. I probably have food plots to plant. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, uh, not even. I mean, that's not a burn on any black bear guys out there. Yeah. I, I probably would enjoy it. Um, what am I doing? Am I sitting over bay nope. or am I spotting stock? Spot I'm both. Stock. I'm both of them. Both of those jokes. I'm going west. I'm going to Utah. Yeah, Utah. Just beautiful environment. Yeah, always. See, there you have it. If in doubt, always head west. Yeah. <laughs> Point the truck where it says W and go. Hit the right. gas. So one other thing, you know, last week we covered our uh, our breakdown on the film. If you haven't seen it yet, or the first one, go check them out on YouTube on our Facebook page. Um, on the website, there's been a lot of great reviews. I love you guys. Tip of the cap for all you guys that have written us reviews. I, I think we've had 22 reviews in the last two weeks, and yeah, you guys fantastic. are awesome. It's really encouraging. And like I said, we're we're each week we're another week closer to apparel and. Uh, you know, we're going to start throwing out some stickers or decal or 
stickers or decals, stickers or hats or shirts to random people that leave reviews. So keep doing it, and maybe the best one will get something real nice. Real nice. Clark. Zach, you, real nice, you've Clark. had the ability to see some of these designs. Don't give it away, but just oh. how excited are you? I won't. Uh, they're awesome. They're incredible, aren't they? Yeah. The artwork is really, really well done. They're awesome. They're really cool. And something kind of new. Yeah, it's different. Um, you'll like them. I, I think everyone will like them. I, oh, I, can't, I keep getting more and more excited about it, so... Um, those are those are coming. They're in the works. Yeah, so give us a review, and, and we may throw out any of that great stuff because it's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. Am I right? <laughs> what? I, we're quoting Christmas Vacation here. So <laughs> oh, that's I, what think, I, was I doing. think you were. And then yeah. everyone was like, oh, wait, what are No, you he was too yeah, when okay. I said real nice. Real nice. That's okay. You were quoting me. You didn't even know the movie. Good gosh. Go back to the choice. All right, guys. Thank you. We'll join you next week. No, see ya. See you guys. <laughs> see ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering on the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Mm-hmm.